Hi, I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to the Next Step Podcast. In this season, we're going to be focusing on search, search funds, entrepreneurship through acquisition, and all things related to that community and that ecosystem, particularly focusing on how can we build the marketplace in Australia and start to encourage more searchers to come to market and get to the point where they can own, operate their own business. In this episode of The Next Step, I speak to Paul O'Farrell. Paul is an experienced banking professional and chartered accountant with over 30 years of international banking and risk management experience, including time with PwC, National Australia Bank and Bankwest. He has an in-depth understanding of the issues facing businesses when applying for finance and has a strong network of relationships throughout the banking industry. Paul's blend of corporate banking, credit risk, and business assessment across a range of industries provides an interesting perspective for those looking to be proactive with their financial position and also their banking options, including funding for growth. In this episode, we have a chat about the Australian debt markets and what they mean for small business. He helps us understand the lens that banks apply when assessing debt and lending for small businesses. And he also discusses the ways in which you can integrate the debt process with the rest of your search and acquisition processes to remove any perceived hurdles in leveraging your acquisition. Debt, I think, can be quite an unfamiliar thing for a lot of people that are considering search or are already going through a search process because it's not something that everyone does sort of part of their career. You know, borrowing money for a small business is quite a unique process. And so it's important to make sure that you understand it's not as much of a hurdle as what you might first perceive. And it's actually something that can really supercharge your deal and also help with the returns from an equity perspective. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Paul. Thanks very much for joining me on this episode of the Next Step podcast. Thanks, Pete. Great to join you. Yeah, no, it's it's excellent to have you along. I've been looking at kind of the list of topics that I'm really keen to cover in this series of podcasts and definitely the one that we're covering here with you today is a a pretty critical part of the process. And so I think that for those people listening, whether they're considering a search or they're already in the midst of one, hearing a bit from you on your perspective of debt markets and debt for small business will be really, really useful. So thanks for your time and joining us. Maybe just to get started, you could provide us with a little bit of background on on kind of where you've come from and a bit of your experience. And then what was it that exposed you in the first place to search funds and that model? Thanks, Pete. I'll give you the very potted history, but 25 plus years in corporate advisory, both in starting my career in insolvency, but then moved into banking after about 10 years and spent 14 years with NAB, mainly in risk roles. So one of my roles was head of credit for a National Australian Bank here in WA for five years. So I suppose that's probably what I'm bringing to the table in terms of that insight for for people and clients. And yeah, laterally then set up Quadrant Advisory, which I'm the managing director of about five years ago. So it's in association with the law firm Lavin based here in Perth and essentially provide debt advisory on an independent fee-for-service basis through to mid-market clients. So that leads into where I came across search funds. So through the network in Perth, I came across Louis. Louis was, uh, got introduced to Louis a number of years ago. And Louis and Act then obviously have been great promoters of the search fund concept. And as soon as they articulated to me, I thought this was, again, another fantastic initiative to be able to provide a solution both for searchers and for equity holders. But also probably one of the key things I see is around succession, which I mm-hmm. think is going to be a big aspect of the Australian business landscape for the next 
five, 10, 20 years as, as the boomers start to retire and probably older Gen Xs start to retire as well, there's going to be a big transition in terms of businesses over that period of time. Absolutely. And there's more businesses that will go through that process than there are trade buyers or private equity that will be able to buy them. And so there's definitely a gap there that search is well-placed to fill. So I, I completely agree. It's, as, it's as, as exciting for those vendors as what it is for the potential searches coming in. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of examples recently where businesses that have been around for 20, 30 years have pretty much just shut up shop and mm. given the keys to someone else. And, you know, basically the goodwill value of that business is, is zero because they haven't been able to, you know, people in their 60s and 70s haven't been able to sell that business and or realize their dreams, you know, earlier and or having a proper succession plan in place. And also then, you know, the opportunity then for people with that corporate background to be able to apply their skills in a different area and so on as well. And I think I've heard Louis mention a couple of times, a good CEO of an SME is, is kind of the, the factor and it's a really, really key important component of search funds. But funny enough, that's probably the key component as well of debt providers when they look at a, a particular opportunity and when they deal with people as well. That, mm. That's a, a componentry of people's capabilities and experience. Even from a macro point of view, if you look through over the next decade, and all else being equal, imagine the number of good businesses that might otherwise just disappear if there wasn't this kind of structure available. It's amazing how much as an economy we could lose. So all of those things are why we're all so excited about search and the structure. One of the things that I think is really interesting about search, that good targets for search are businesses that have a bit of a track record, yep. they're usually positive cash flow, they've got a good customer base, all these kinds of attributes. They're usually relatively small, so, you know, sub three or four million earnings, so they're not sitting up in kind of the, the big earnings numbers. But they do have quite a few of those good kind of positive attributes in relation to their tenure, which then makes them relatively fundable, right? And, and hopefully it would make them good businesses to lend to. So debt usually becomes a pretty important part of the equation when a searcher is looking for an acquisition and modelling out that acquisition. So what's your current perspective on, let's just call it small business lending and small business debt markets in Australia? Like how are we performing as an overall market and the various players involved? Interesting you raised that point, and I suppose that's kind of the key to, to search funds. Though. There was an article in yesterday's financial review about OECD giving Australia a really hard time for not lending to small businesses. Judo Bank have also, um, who are a relatively new challenger, SME Bank have been around for a couple of years, also released a, an update of their underbanked element of the market and so on as well. So that's the last time I looked was about 90 billion. Mm. So there's a huge unmet need in the marketplace, both from an existing uh, client base and potentially from new providers or so for new sources of funding as well coming in. So look, maybe to explain, the, I suppose the small business market in, in Australia is challenging. There is probably a difference between lending between $5 million and above and $5 million and below. Yeah. And a lot of the banks, particularly business banks, in the less than five million, there's a, I won't get too technical, but there's a code of banking practice, which has been implemented a number of years ago. And essentially what it's putting banks or putting banks to, forcing banks to do is to take a secured position. So in other words, a director or owners of a business have to pledge their personal assets to be able to secure funding for their business. Some of this was driven by the Royal Commission outcomes and the, you would have heard the, the phrase responsible lending, which was mainly focused around retail. But unfortunately, it's crept in somewhat into the small business space as well. So banks tend to be trying to make themselves relatively conservative in this area. 
So therefore, try to be secured, i.e. having that, that, that security in place from a personal perspective. Businesses, I believe, should stand on their own two feet. So I think you know, from from the way I look at things, I'll call these principles the five C's of credit, but they are essentially the lending principles that anyone would use in terms of whether it's lending to a search funder, to BHP, or to if you were lending to your mate, you should still use the same principles. They're yes. still universally valid. And these principles, I'll, I'll very quickly go through yeah. them, what they are, but probably spend a bit of time probably just on one or two. So the first one is character, which is not whether you're a good person otherwise. It's actually about track record, the capability of the business, the, manage, the management information systems, the strategy that's been achieved in the past. And for search funders, this is an interesting one. I'll just segue for a second is, mm. is that they're buying into an existing business, as you say. So they don't necessarily have their own personal track record, but the business will have a track record. Mm. The key point that I want to make for search funders, and this is probably, if, if there's probably one possible thing you take out of my talk is around the transferability of your skills. So you might be coming from a corporate background and you may be buying a engineering business. So you might've worked for one of the big engineers, but now you are the, the CEO and decision maker within a business. So you will have certain skill set and experiences that are not directly applicable to that business, but are transferable. And the key thing that you need to persuade a bank of is, is that you do have transferability of skills, or if you have gaps that you actually, the company or the acquiring business that you're buying has actually got those gaps covered. So it's a really, really key, key point to make in terms of, and it's the first C of credit, they call it, is the character one, which if there's any issues there, if the, if the bank or the funder believes there are any problems there, they generally don't pass go. This is mm. kind of the, 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 the kind of the go, no go point. Next one then, just quickly, capacity. So that capacity is cash flow. It's probably the simplest way of putting it. I've always been told cash pays back debt, profit never does. So mm-hmm. highly profitable businesses can sometimes be somewhat cash constrained. And again, part of a search funder's due diligence. And probably I should say, actually, the, the process that search funders go through with equity providers is very similar from a debt perspective. So yes. you, you should really take the opportunity to look at both as being a kind of a more or less a simultaneous process, but there'll be slightly different lenses, which is what the five C's are. Capital, which is probably a segue to that, is where the equity that's invested into the business. And again, the search funder model for me, if I was a lender to search funders themselves, the capital that's introduced into a business can sometimes be the the savior Mm. and or probably the solution to probably what has possibly might've been in the past, an undercapitalized business to enable it to be, to borrow more and to grow more and to be able to be more profitable going forward. So that's one of the things that excites me. Do you think on the capital front, one of the things that I think the searcher definitely leans on in a good way, I think, is the fact that the search model brings with it a group of investors that provide mentoring, coaching and kind of capability to the searcher that they and experience that they might not have. Is that also something that the banks might consider as part of their overall assessment to think it isn't just, you know, Phil coming along to try and run this business. It's actually Phil plus these 10 experienced investors that are coming along as part of this journey. And is that something that the searcher can speak to the banks about? You know, it's not just me. I've got this group around me. Yeah, 100% agree, Pete. I think that goes back to the character piece. So the nature of the equity investors you have, I mean, it would give me great comfort if there was a search fund fund sitting behind an individual in a, in a new industry, because to, exactly to your point, I then know that they've got access to advisors mm. and advisory capacity and or mentoring that brings me great comfort as a funder, as opposed to someone, you know, sitting there by themselves at yeah. 10 o'clock at night, trying to work it out for themselves. It, yeah. it, it's a, it's a massive, massive positive. And 
to your point, it should actually be really sold up front. I think that's probably the difference of probably the search fund model versus other models is, is that rather than me just having money in my bank account and me solely, you're right, you've got access to this group of people who will be able who'll be closely watching their own investment, which from a bank perspective would give me great comfort, but also that from an advisory perspective as well. Yeah. The next one then is just the last two seats. So is collateral. So I spoke about that. It's about the value of the assets and the balance sheets and so on as well. The other point probably want to make here, if you're borrowing under 5 million, it is 99.999% certain that you'll be asked for a personal guarantee. Mm. So it is something that searchers need to be aware of in terms of when they're going through the debt process. And even above it, they're probably likely to be asked for a personal guarantee. So they just need to be mindful of their own personal affairs and, and how they're structured and so on as well. But the reason banks take this, and I'll give a very uh, quick reason, two reasons. One is the moral one, which is in the event that there are problems, that the director is incentivized to assist with those problems rather than walk away. And the second one then is if they have a substantial asset position, which they can pledge collateral if there's, if there are potentially increased funding to the business themselves, if they've got substantial net worth. But for most people, it will be around the moral one as well. So the only way that banks will move back from personal guarantees is if the leverage or the, lo- the lending is lower than, than their benchmarks. So it's one of those things. It's really, really hard to maximize debt for the best possible price for the best possible terms and get all of those things. You generally have to give up something. Mm. Yeah. And the last one, but not least, is conditions. And that's the covenants in the, on the loan. So they, there'll be financial covenants and monitoring covenants in place. And essentially, these are contractual terms that a lender puts in place with a borrower that basically you have to satisfy these ongoing conditions to be able to continue to avail of the loan. So it might be things like interest cover, capital adequacy ratio, um, loan to value ratio, those type of things. They are key conditions and they're put in place generally for loan lending above 5 million. And that's what I'm saying. Below, below, below 5 million, they may also be in place depending on the lender that you borrow to. And the, the other part of conditions then is just the economic conditions of the sector you're buying into and so on as well. So. The COVID has had a big impact in terms of how industries have performed. So, you know, banks may be somewhat reluctant to invest into a specific sector if they've got a view in that sector being not as strong as others. And other and other banks might have a different view. So it's very much a appetite question. Yeah, absolutely. And I spent a little bit of my career in credit as well. But that structure of those five C's is a really neat way of thinking about the lens that a bank is going to bring or a lender is going to bring to your deal and you when considering whether or not to lend. Sounds to me like the kind of thing that would be worthwhile almost applying to yourself before you even sit in front of the bank. You're finding that that's a useful process for people to go through is to actually almost do a self-assessment on those criteria? Absolutely. And and it's being realistic as well. So I've spoken to a number of search funders uh, prior to this, and it's it's the one page I give them afterwards. But essentially, it is that's what I, exactly what I've said to them is that the key other other probably other key point, there's probably a couple of key points. But one key point is, is that every opportunity that you look at will be different. So business lending is not like home loan lending, where you pre-qualify for a loan. Yes. And you go and buy a house, say, for a million dollars, you get pre-qualified for that. Each business, each company you look at has got its own unique credit risk profile. Therefore, you, it's really, really hard to pre-qualify to buy a specific business because the risk of that business is unique to that business. So the five C's will give you that, that, that ability to be able to assess that particular business 
And it could be you're looking at five businesses in the same sector, but each of them might have slightly different attributes. So it is some of these are subjective, but other than some of them are, are objective as well. So capacity, capital, and collateral are all mechanical calculations based off the PL and balance sheet. Probably the character and conditions of the subjective ones. So yes, yeah, yeah. highly so, recommended. Yeah. yeah, one one of the things that that I was speaking to one of my other guests about from a searcher perspective is in those first kind of three to six months of starting your search, you get, you kind of um, calibrate your search around the ability to recognize what a good business is and what a bad business is and what might suit you and what might not. I guess adding to that mix, the ability to quickly apply this framework to potential businesses from a debt lending perspective could be really powerful as well. And being good and efficient at, at applying that as part of your overall due diligence lens. Spot on. And that goes back to my earlier comment about your equity process and the debt processes are not dissimilar. So yeah, it's just a slightly different lens. Yeah. But the things you were looking at, those five components you'd be looking at anyway from an equity perspective. Yeah. And I know this can be a tough question sometimes because it's always like it depends. And as you said, like, you know, each business is slightly different. But in the Australian market at the moment, are there any kind of rules of thumb that you're seeing around the overall appetite of either the big banks or the judos or even some of the smaller non-banks might be looking at in terms of the businesses that searchers might typically be after. So, for example, a searcher might be finding kind of a services-based business with earnings between one and two million and it's 15 years old and it's got a reasonable kind of last five years of reported earnings What's the kind of appetite at the moment in the market for lending against a business like that? What kind of either multiple of earnings or percentage of leverage can people kind of expect if they're going to market at the moment? So I'll answer your question by saying it does depend, but yes. I'll give you a rough rule of thumb. I knew you would. Um, I knew you would. But 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 in, <laughs> but in proportion, though, I guess the question, yeah. maybe the other way of putting the question is more like a concern. I know that there'd be a lot of people that might be considering a search out there that have not been through this process before. They yes. might have a home loan, but they haven't never thought about debt from a business point of view. Yeah. And so therefore they might be seeing it as a really, really big hurdle. How much yeah. of a hurdle is debt for businesses of this size? The business plan and the analysis that you do from an equity perspective, essentially is you're writing the credit memorandum for one of a better description for the banker. Really, that's a lot of the work that you do through the search fund process will put you really in a really, really good position and be well prepared for discussions with the bank. If you overlay then the five Cs and essentially use those lenses and refer that back to your information that you've already gleaned, then you, you'll put yourself a long way away ahead of someone just walking into the bank and saying, I'm looking to buy a business. Can you give me $2 million? Mm. I'm being flippant, but mm. you'd be surprised that sometimes people might feel it's as easy as that, or they might be daunted from that fact. The, the rough rule of thumb that I use for people is, and to go back to your debt to earnings um, mm. multiple, is 50-50. Yeah. So, for instance, if you're looking to buy a business, say, three times debt to EBITDA, so say making a million dollars and you're going, to, you're going to pay three million for it, then essentially getting one and a half times debt or one and a half million of debt and one and a half million of equity would be a good rule of thumb. Yeah. You might be able to push that to two for some of the attributes that you spoke about, Pete, in terms of it could be a you know a long-standing business that's been around for a long time. It might have 80% of its revenue is contracted out for three years, stable management team, good accounts, profitable business. So the more attractive you are, the more you're able to push that, I call it credit envelope for one of a better description. 
Yeah. And that's great. So ultimately, I guess the points that you're kind of making is as you're going through the equity pitch thought process, think about the debt pitch at the same time. And if you're thinking about what it would be reasonable to pay as an overall enterprise value for this business, and you don't push that envelope too hard, then 50% leverage is not unreasonable based on normal kind of parameters. Yeah, yeah. As a rule of thumb, and as I say, you could potentially push that even higher. And some banks are somewhat sometimes prepared to go a little bit higher mm. for a period of time. They might say, well, if you're paying three and a half, we'll fund that extra half, mm. but we want the debt to come back down to be yeah. under two times by 18 months or two years. So there's yeah. there's yeah. there's ways of structuring things at the start that you can somewhat push the envelope a little bit. But again, it depends how well prepared you are in that. And Probably the key to that, and probably one of the things I've got to say, the other thing I want to point out is that particularly if you're doing lending against a business, cash flow business, so for instance, a services business, mm-hmm. three-way forecasts are fundamental mm-hmm. to be able to understand how the business works. And that's a forecast PL, forecast cash flow, and a forecast balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Really, really, I can't under, overstate the importance of having a three-way model in terms of that for both for equity holders, but also for a bank as well, because it will enable you to do what-if analysis. It will be able you to project. It will be able to derive your covenants from it and will, will pretend, and will also drive then your funding need then as well and your ability to be able to repay that debt back as well. Mm, and because, also give give the bankers confidence on a few different scenarios, I imagine, as well, because that right. sort of scenario analysis, I think, is is quite valuable. The ability to be able to say, yeah, our revenue can drop by X percent, but we're still yep. hitting the serviceability ratios. We've still got positive cash flow. So I think that's right. really powerful. It, it's interesting that the comment that you just made then around, you know, if you were going to push the envelope further, there's things you can do around amortization schedules and different profiles with the debt repayment. It just makes me think it's one of those things where, which I guess is right in the in the sweet spot for the game that you play. It's really powerful to have someone that knows that language well <laughs> to help you yeah. through that journey. I mean, it's easy sometimes to just assume that that process of getting debt for a business is you know, relatively vanilla, but there can be some real power in having someone kind of in in your court who's got some experience in thinking about what other options there might be rather than just what comes straight out of the box. Yeah, correct. And, you know, it's not just kind of people like me. Generally, you know, there's accountants that are well experienced and other advisors in the marketplace then as well who have got a lot of experience dealing with banks. I suppose the unique aspect is that, you know, talking to someone like me, I've worked the other side. So mm. I can, I suppose, put myself in the other shoes mm. of the people that are looking at, you know, a particular opportunity and enable them to, you know, recognise those issues potentially when there are areas of weakness, but also then possibly, you know, pitch them in a way that the areas of weakness are mitigated by areas of strength as well. So mm. borrowing money is like marketing for equity. It's the same same process. You are looking to, to someone's got cash and you want it off them. So you've got to pitch, you've got to pitch the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's one of those things around. And I, I think what I'm seeing in the market is that fundamentally the problem with the small end of the market is that the the ticket sizes are small and therefore the actual money that the banks are making in an absolute sense from each of these deadlines is relatively small. And then from a profitability point of view, they need to make sure that they're still making money on that, which therefore directly impacts the kind of resourcing they can put on these loans, right? So they're in this kind of interesting dynamic, but I'm, I'm definitely noticing that they are starting to improve the way in which they're approaching loans at this end of the market in order to kind of take it away from that cookie cutter approach. Because I think a lot of what 
will benefit the searches that are coming to market because the one of the things that I think searches bring, and I was having a discussion with a banker from the US where search is a lot more well-developed and, and she actually runs a search-focused division of her bank. One of the benefits that she sees in a search-backed deal rather than just any other deal is that it does bring a more highly capable, typically a more highly capable or highly educated CEO to the table, but also brings this group of investors to the table. And, and yeah. usually, as you said, a lot of those kind of credit documents are almost pre-prepared by the searcher coming in because they've done all that work for equity anyway. And so I am starting to see that the banks are potentially better prepared to respond to that kind of presentation. I definitely know from my own personal experience that five or 10 years ago, if I was to turn up to borrow a million dollars for a small business with that kind of level of presentation, it would almost unfortunately fall on deaf ears because they'd just say, that all doesn't matter. I'm just going to put you into this spreadsheet and you'll either pass or fail. Are you finding now that the banks are getting better at responding to a a deeper level of understanding when it comes to that pitch? Yes, they are. And I think, you know, there is certainly more of a focus, particularly in small business or kind of business banking side of things. And again, bank segments, some bank segment around turnover, some bank segment about debt. So mm. to be, um, again, my understanding is that to your point, you know, borrowing a million dollars, it was a computer says yes, computer says no mm. scenario. There's a little bit more science behind it now. And I, and I suppose another point that I want to make is, is that one of the things that, that searchers should be looking at doing is to try and form a, a relationship with a bank as, as they go. It could be that they might do their home loan borrowing with ANZ. So therefore, would it make sense to try and get in front of an ANZ banker as part of it? And I'm just making this by example. Yeah. Because establishing, talking to a human during this process is really important as opposed to, you know, going into a one three hundred number in a call center and, and or online. And again, there are online solutions and there are non-bank solutions as well, which may very well be the avenues in which search funders go down. But for the purposes of today's discussion, I'll just focus on the bank market. That that non-bank market is a topic probably for another day, but there is there's a big pool of credit available to people depending on their circumstance and the further you move away from the big four and the mainstream banks and the more that will cost you but they probably have more flexibility as well so yeah there's there's definitely definitely scope for considering and from my mind it's about establishing that relationship with the bank if you can sooner rather than later and that's my point about the pre-qualification it's you you should only talk to them really meaningfully once you're kind of getting serious because otherwise you'll annoy them yeah, and you probably bring up whatever credit you have with them from a, from a perspective of investment of time, but having that relationship so that when you are on a deal and ready to roll, that you are there's there's a degree of warmth there already. You've already established some bona fides and so on as well. And in relation to getting prepared, one of the things that you mentioned even before we got on this call was some of the resources that you can access for the benefit of that. And you were talking about the deal that Search Funder has got yes. in relation to Ibis. Um, do you want to just tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I think I and a few, probably quite a few of this search funder kind of environment in, in Australia, we've got there's a searchfunder.com and one of the key resources I understand, and again, I don't have access to this my person because I'm not a searcher, mm. is that Ibis World Reports are free mm. if you are a searcher on the website. This is a massive, massive resource and is massively, massively important as well because a lot of banks and or funders use Ibis World as a, you know, a background information 
to be able to look at and to evaluate industries. So for instance, when I used to go and visit clients, when a banking perspective, I get an Ibis World report on, it could have been light manufacturing or you know engineering, something like that. I'm being vague about it, but, but it gives me enough information to be able to talk about, in particular, one of the key things about critical success factors. So each of the Ibis World reports has a analysis around those critical success factors for companies in that sector. I use this in every single credit submission I've put together over the last number of years. I always refer to Ibis World and those critical success factors because, again, it's a good benchmark for an individual. So for people who aren't on searchfunder.com and are available of that service, I'd highly recommend yeah. I mean, it's really powerful to be able to walk, walk into a conversation with a banker and actually be referencing some of the information that they might be referencing themselves. So you're then yeah. speaking the same language. Well, that's great. We'll, we'll definitely put that link in the show notes. One final question before we wrap up. We've touched on a lot of really interesting and quite frankly, practically valuable stuff that people can be doing around preparing themselves for debt. But if you were to kind of imagine that some of the people listening to this are have either started their search or they're just about to start their search and debt really isn't something that they're familiar with from a business perspective. What would be the one or two things you'd say to them to give them that extra layer of comfort that actually kind of that debt process isn't necessarily as opaque as what they might be currently concerned that it is? I think, you know, I've mentioned it probably a couple of times, the level of preparation you go through to go through the search fund process will put you far ahead probably of most businesses and or people of this type. So the work that you put into that process is massively valuable. So never having spoken to a bank before, never having borrowed before, walking in the door with your analysis that you've done and the business plan that you've prepared for your equity holders will be massively valuable. So don't be afraid of it. The second thing I probably would, and I probably have said it already, is probably about establishing relationship. It might not necessarily either be with a bank, but it could be with an accountant or advisor who's someone who you can bounce some stuff off as you go through the search search process. Um, Because again, that will give you, I suppose, that independence piece, but also then give you an early warm up in terms of, of how a bank may view you. The point I want to make, though, is that you need to be really, really cognizant of the time taken to fund the, the debt process itself. So we haven't really mentioned that, but it's a really important point because banks will have, I'll call it an eight to 12-week process. So if you're signing a deal now to be settling, say, by I'll make a date up 31st of December, you really should start talking to the bank once you've got your heads of agreement in place and so on as well, because the process There'll be no good in talking to them at the 1st of December saying I need to settle in before Christmas. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I just use those dates by way of example. Yeah. But you need to think about your debt process as parallel to whenever your ultimate settlement is. So, mm-hmm. again, your legal advisors, your accountants, and probably and so on as well will be, will be important in that. But just you need to allow plenty of time for it because there will be many twists and turns, possibly. And I have not come across the perfect deal yet uh, and having done this for a while. But the ability to be able to actually have that parallel process as well is just really, really important to know. But my view would be, I'll leave you with this. It's, you know, debt can be an accelerant to success is, Mm -hmm. is how I describe it. It can bridge that gap between your personal resources and equity resources as long as it's used wisely. So, you know, not to over leverage, but also not to be too conservative either as well. Every business has a Goldilocks level of debt. For some businesses that could be quite high and for others it can be quite low. So again, the industry sector you're in, looking through the five C's analysis as well, will tell you, you know, the ability of the business to be able to bear, you know, a reasonable chunk of debt. And I'll leave with the last one. 
resilience. There's a lot of paperwork, and particularly if you've never done it before. There's a lot of compliance yeah. built into processes and systems now as well. So things like um, Know Your Customer, which are basically about helping Australia deal with anti-money laundering and so on as well. There's lots of paperwork and so on as well, particularly if you're doing it for the first time. So personal resilience and to try and manage the frustration as well will be uh, is, is important as well. But the rewards of getting a good debt provider or a good debt partner along for the ride with your business are immense because they will be another source of advice for you as well and be able to be able to talk to you about your opportunities, particularly as you want to grow. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've, I can see as a common thread through all of those bits of advice that you've got there is the fact that you can actually make that debt process part of your overall process. It's not like yeah. you've got this thing that you're doing in searching for and acquiring a business and then you've got this debt thing that you need to do on the side the more that you can make it just part of what you're doing and part of the documentation and the research and the relationships that you're building anyway then it just can slot in nicely with all of the other stuff that you're doing and they can each benefit the other so i think that really reassuring for those people that are going through this process is that they can know that actually it's not like a bolt-on piece of work they need to do it's it's something that they can integrate with what they're doing already so. Yeah, you know, and, and the insights you'll gain from potentially a funder looking at your bank asking you questions about things, you know, they'll, they'll be looking at how you manage risk, for instance, mm-hmm. which I didn't mention anywhere within the five C's, but it's going to be part of their character assessment is what are the risks that you're walking into with this particular business and how you're going to manage them. So they will ask you a lot of good questions as well. Good bankers will ask you some good questions, which yeah. should put you kind of, you know, on rocky on your heels, possibly, but possibly not. But again, your ability to be able to address those and answer those will also impress them as well. So it's always good to surround yourself with people that can ask good questions. So now that's yeah. that's fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Paul. It was really good to have that insight. I think I've already got some ideas about some other topics that we might need to get you back on to discuss because we kind of touched on a few things that I think would be powerful to come back and talk to again. So, but that was really really useful to get your insights into that process. I think there's. Definitely some people out there that I've spoken to that haven't had a lot of experience with the debt process. And so kind of exposing a bit of that today has been really valuable. So thanks very much for your time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please jump onto LinkedIn and find the group Search and ETA Australasia. You can also send me a direct message and I'd be keen to connect. 